0: I'm Rebecca Hamilton, author, artist, photographer, and
1: entrepreneur. And I'm Chad Hamilton, marathon runner, podcast host, and addictions advocate.
0: We're back for season four of Scrap the Sweet Talk podcast. And let's just say that we've scrapped a lot more than just the Sweet Talk since we talked to you last.
1: Yeah, that's right. We've scrapped our entire bakery business altogether. After over a decade of growing Chick Boss Cake from the ground up, building it to over a million in sales, and investing all of our time, money, and energy into it, we decided to close it down.
0: Let's just say we've grown into completely different people than the kids we once were when we started it, And ironically, we've both developed a passion for living a healthy lifestyle that does not align with running a sugary, processed food, dessert empire.
1: It's hard to believe we ended up here.
0: It is. And this season, we're talking all about change.
1: That's right. You know, it's so much easier to keep doing what you've always done and way more difficult to let go of comfort and step into the unknown. That's for sure.
0: Welcome to season four of Scrap the Sweet Talk podcast, where we hope to inspire you to challenge societal norms, old beliefs, and realign to become your most authentic self. Let's do it. So on this episode, we are going to be talking about addiction, alcohol consumption, drug use, and living a sober lifestyle, even if you don't struggle with addiction issues, um, because Chad and I have really... Found some significant positive benefits from living a sober lifestyle. Um, for me personally, I had drank all my life. It was part of like every special occasion, every group event, any kind of social event. Uh, it was always there. It was always part of my lifestyle. Uh, for Chad, it was different because he struggled with some issues when he was younger. He ended up going to rehab. He's going to share his story in a moment. But I was just the typical person who enjoyed drinking on the weekends, uh, having a glass of wine after work. It was very much part of my regular lifestyle. And the last two years, I have quit drinking alcohol and not had any alcohol and have no plans of going back to drinking alcohol And after learning about the negative effects and how it contributes to cancer and all of these diseases. And really, when you think about it, you're just putting toxic poison into your body. And for me, on my health journey, it just does not align whatsoever with that. And so that's enough incentive for me to not want to go back to it, even though I will tell you when I first quit, it was very, 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 very difficult. Uh, And alcohol is actually considered a carcinogen. So if you look up what that means, it is a known cancer causing substance. So Without further ado, Chad, why don't you get into your story of how you stopped drinking alcohol and you were into drugs and stuff like that and your rehab experience. Why don't you just tell your story?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And uh, I just want to start off by saying that I never thought that you would join me in, in quitting alcohol. Uh, I never Elkal thought I would. Because we've been together, what, 13, 14 mm-hmm. years, something like that now. And um, yeah, our entire relationship, you always drank wine and, um, you know, it, 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 yeah, I mean, it was just a regular thing. And I feel like a lot of people listen to this is that, you know, we live in a society where alcohol is just such a socially acceptable thing to do. Yeah. um, It makes
0: you feel weird if you don't. Yeah.
1: Like you almost feel weird if you don't. And like if you think about that fundamentally, like how wrong is that, right? Like imagine if, you know, you felt weird about not eating McDonald's at a party or something. Like that would never happen. Right. Like it's like, if you tell someone to eat McDonald's, they're like, okay, well, neither do I. Right. But all of a sudden you tell somebody you don't drink and it's like, Oh, how come, you know, as if you have to justify something that so many people do.
0: Well, they automatically think you have a problem with it. If you don't drink and you're just a sober person, like I never had a serious issue with like, drinking alcohol or over, like, it wasn't part of my everyday life. Like, I didn't need it to survive like some people do. But the fact is, is that when you tell people, oh, no, I don't drink, they automatically assume like you were a raging alcoholic.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And that's what I mean. They ask you the question, how come? And I mean that's just so wrong, right? It, and and like I said, I I can't even draw any other comparison. But people would say, "How come?" You know, it, any other thing that you say, oh, I don't do this. It would be like, "Well, no kidding, neither do I." Or or there wouldn't even be or any just, further. You just
0: respect that they don't yeah. do that. You wouldn't be like secretly wondering right. if they had an alcohol addiction, substance yeah. abuse problem. That's
1: right. <laughs> you know, so um, I think
0: before you tell your story, uh, I I should just say that. I am not like I have never really been in the area of fully understanding the dynamics of addiction and drug addiction and alcohol addiction and stuff like that. So that's not my strength at all. That's Ch- Chad's strength. Um, and in fact, when Chad and I first met and we went on, I think it was our second date. And uh, that was when he told me that he had previously gone to rehab, and I don't know how many years he had been sober by that point. Do you know? Do you remember? Three, three years. Okay, but to me, being so naive to how any of that stuff worked, I automatically was like, thought like, well, I'm. This is not going to work because I don't do drugs. Sure, I drink, but I didn't have a problem, and I just thought like naively that anybody that struggled with addiction issues, like it was only a matter of time before they went back to it, because that's all the basic knowledge that I had. So it totally freaked me out on our second date when you told me that, even though I know you were just trying to be honest and open and you didn't want me to find out later because that would have probably been worse. But it's one of those things where our society is like, doesn't really understand it, doesn't you know know how it works they just know that it's not a positive thing and they have so many judgments about it like I had so many judgments about that and I just assumed that being with you meant that I was going to have to deal with your drug and alcohol issues like that's what I automatically thought
1: yeah and I I don't think that um you know it's a bad thing like I I mean but I mean, it is part of the naivety. Well, some people of, do relapse, um, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's certainly, you know, a, a, a common thing for people in recovery. And it's not necessarily a bad thing as long as you, you know, learn from that. Like anything in life, a mistake, you learn from it and then you make yourself better. But, um, yeah, I mean I almost kind of blew it with you early on for my over transparency, but um yeah, I just didn't want that to be kind of that secret thing down the road as far as um, you know, what uh what would surface later and uh and bite me in the butt. So I just wanna be transparent and honest from day one and um that's what I was trying to do. But yeah, to your point, I never really thought about somebody who is not you know, privy to being in in recovery and and sort of the um you know the reasons and why and, and having that understanding because naturally you would think oh well you know this person has issues I'm not on that page and I don't think this is gonna work so um, yeah and I
0: think most people that don't struggle or haven't had like anyone close to them struggle with it just have no idea whatsoever and that was me I had no idea I just knew it was not a good thing and I knew that uh based on all the previous. Shows, Relationships I had in the past that I did not think that that was going to be a positive thing for a relationship going forward.
1: Right. Yeah. No. For sure. Um, but yeah, I can uh, I can dive right into it in reference to my story. So. Yeah, basically I, uh, from the time I entered high school, um, you know, started smoking cigarettes, uh, which eventually led to smoking pot, um, trying to fit in and be cool and, um, you know, doing the whole peer pressure thing. And from there, you know, drinking and and partying throughout high school, um, was sort of a regular thing. Uh, I used to always, um, you know, basically drink too much and then I would always be that guy that would puke I, I certainly couldn't handle my alcohol and and you know that was always kind of a thing and then as soon as I smoke weed after I've been drinking I would always puke it was like a go-to and so everybody else would you know laugh and make fun of me and tease me because I'd be the one puking and they would be able to handle it and then um when I found cocaine sniffing cocaine uh I would not puke and it would allow me to party longer and later and be the life of the party and and give me all this energy and I'd be able to socialize and it basically just you know for someone who doesn't understand it it would allow me to be more you know with it from an intoxication standpoint which seems crazy but um but yeah that was it I would I would be more like alert and more present and with it to party longer when everybody else was was stumbling and falling over i mean it would put you back into your place basically so um so yeah so that i obviously really enjoyed that um you know it was something i just kind of did i only did it after i was drunk it was never something i did um when i wasn't drunk uh, it was kind of a thing to extend the the life of the party uh but yeah eventually it ended up being where you know we would we would basically stay up from friday night until Sunday night. It was like a regular weekend thing. So we just wouldn't sleep and we would just, um, you know, wait till the LCBO or beer store would open the following morning, get more alcohol, get more cocaine. And, you know, when the dealer woke up again the next morning and, and we would just repeat the process. And so, um, yeah, I mean it was always the um struggle between feeling like shit and then starting to feel good again once once the drugs um were back in hand. And uh and yeah, like anything, the evolution of that led to uh crack, which is um so when you do cocaine, you snort cocaine. Um and when you do crack it's it's cocaine, but just in a smokable form. So you basically just smoke I did not it. know that. So it's the um, same substance. Yeah, it's just um like there's a way that you like um you know, make it into crack from, from the powdered version. Um, I don't know the whole science of it. I didn't really handle that, but, um, but yeah, so basically it's a smoked version of cocaine, um, that, uh, the substance is manufactured a little bit differently in order for you to smoke it. And, but the, like the, the rush of it hits, hits you like within, you know, right away and it's way more intense and it doesn't last as long. So when you sniff it, it it kind of has a slower onset. It lasts much longer. It's not quite as intense, um, which, in essence, kind of makes it seem like you don't have that big of an issue. Whereas when you start smoking it, it, because it's so intense and, and so quick and so direct. Um, and then the, the withdrawal hits you so much sooner. Like it, it's, it's, yeah, it's super powerful. And that's when it's like next level addiction. That's, that's when I knew things were getting out of hand. That's actually the first time I started to do it without drinking. Um, so
0: how long did you do like those drugs for?
1: Uh, so I was doing I was uh sniffing cocaine for uh yeah, I mean several years, just very passively. I never really had like an actual problem with it because I didn't do it when I wasn't partying, like it and Monday to Friday it was yeah, no problem. So that
0: was your rationalization. You know, that was my
1: rationalization. Um, <laughs> I'm sure
0: a lot of people rationalize it yeah, like that.
1: So functioning to some degree. Uh you only did it when we we drank and partied on the weekends, but Monday to Friday I would go to work. It didn't impact my life at all. And then um, And then after a few years of doing that, then, you know, hanging around some other people that naturally graduated to something stronger, like, inevitably happens with anything like that and uh and then yeah i tried smoking it and i was hooked right away i mean obviously it was everything i enjoyed about starting it and then some because it was like you know hits you harder and and faster and feels even better um but the problem with that is that it became even way more addictive like that was where it was like you know i need it like you know not when i'm partying like monday i need it on weekdays and i need it like And then I was doing it by myself. And then, okay. And and so, I only ended up smoking it for probably like two months before... Um, I ended up reaching out to my parents for help because I knew I had a problem at that point. I was miserable with myself. Like I just wasn't happy. I, I clearly realized that there was no functioning version of a crack addict. Um, so. Well, what made you realize that though? Uh, well, just cause I was using it by myself. Once I started using it by myself, like I had never done that at any point. So, so I'd never, like I had smoked weed by myself and stuff like that. Most people that are but, doing
0: that, like would have the ability to recognize that it's a problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. That's a great question. Honestly, like it depends on, you know, environment. It depends on, you know, wherever you're at in your life, whether you feel that it's an issue or not, um, whether you feel the the degree of your kind of struggle or pain or sorrow outweighs the the feeling of of the rush of doing that or living that lifestyle. So, at what point
0: did you realize that it was an actual issue?
1: Yeah. So it was literally when I started doing it by myself, because once again, I mean, you're, you're with a groups of people, you're partying, you're having fun. Like yeah. You don't, but why is that though? You're is it because you
0: were getting paranoid or like what oh, yeah, was the would feeling? I get super
1: paranoid. So that was really, really scary for me. Like I would be peering out the window thinking the cops were going to come and arrest me at any point after I did it. Like this is a common side effect of, um, you know, of smoking crack and any kind of hard drugs in that sense. Um, especially when you're doing it alone, um, you know, cause you kind of your, your mind's just, you know you're you're out of it right so yeah i mean when i was you know you're young you're partying you're doing with other people you don't really feel there's an issue and that was kind of the case with sniffing it for so many years and then once yeah, it became, your
0: environment that you surround yeah, yourself with makes it feel like it's normal and acceptable
1: right that's right exactly that's exactly it right um so and, how
0: did you like did your parents know you were doing it before you brought it up yeah or how so what did happened you? was
1: my sister had kind of um because she was starting to hang around with um you know, with some of people that I knew, like, uh, you know, she's only four years younger than me. So she was starting to, um, through the grapevine, uh, you know, some of her friends, boyfriends and stuff were, were dating, you know, my friends. And so like, we never hung out like as a group, but, um, kind of through that way. So she started to know like what obviously we were doing. Um, she didn't know I was smoking it. she knew I was sniffing it, And so she told, basically told my parents, um, who then confronted me and then I denied it for a long period of time. And then once I started to smoke, it and only after a couple months and, and just being miserable and paranoid and one night I just called my dad um when I was high and I just said, Yeah, like I'm you know, everything I told you that I was lying like I it was basically a lie. It's true. Um I do have a problem, like I need help. I'm not happy. Um so yeah, I mean they were very you know open and supportive about it and tried to help me out and um basically said, Hey, come on home and and you know, live I was living on my own, my first apartment at the time, um, which was a gong show because it was just people partying in and out it's Um, hard
0: though because when you have an addiction problem and your parents let you live with them it's like an enabling behavior and then if you live on your own you have your own free environment to party whenever you want so like that's a hard dynamic
1: yeah exactly so so yeah so growing up um my parents were always the ones where they kind of said oh we'd rather have you you know I mean initially obviously grade nine ten like they didn't want me you know drinking and smoking pot that kind of thing but then later into high school I feel like they were like you know several parents out there where they would rather have their their kids um you know my kids are going to drink anyway so I may as well have them under my roof at least I know that they're not you know drinking and driving or you know out there getting in fights or doing something stupid and getting in trouble with the law so if they're under my roof then then that's fine so that was kind of their logic I think um so yeah we did that and then eventually I got my own place because I had a full-time job and that first place was such a gong show my god Um, so yeah so I I got I think I only lasted like five months or something like that Um, living on my own before I ended up going to rehab and obviously got evicted from that place. And I don't even know what happened um, with that apartment, but I definitely never went back. But, but basically once I reached out to my dad, I, um, he said, uh, okay, well, why don't you get out of that? Because I told him like, this apartment is terrible for me. People just like show up with, with drugs and, you know, I mean, they know it's like a place to do it. So <clears throat> basically from there, he was like yeah come on back live with with me um and uh, and so my parents had divorced like a year or two before that so that's where my partying and, and drug addiction really kind of spiraled out of control at that point so my dad was living um you know on his own with a new girlfriend at the time and uh he's like yeah you can come back live with us um and uh so basically i i live with him. I, kind of will powered a week of sobriety living with him. And then I, uh, ended up phoning my dealer and, um, sold him a football Jersey that I had for like $40 worth. And I, I, basically just smoked it in a parking lot by myself at a gas station. And, and yeah, I just sat there and, you know, yeah, it was, I mean, I get butterflies even talking about it because it's triggering, even thinking back to the, how unhappy I was at that time. Um, but yeah, so when was, you
0: went back home to live with your parent, to live with your dad, yeah. was there a plan for you, or was he? No, the plan he was thinking, just the
1: environment. Right? Yeah. So he yeah. thought the
0: environmental change would be enough to yeah. like help, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is, I think, not, a lot of people might think that. Yeah. A
1: lot of people think, okay, you know, they're back with me. I know what, what's going on. You yeah. Know, it's fine. but That's not
0: really the case, right? But
1: no, the whole the whole thing is, and this is the thing: if anybody listening this knows knows if somebody has an addiction and they're uh, you know unaware of kind of the. If they think that that strategy works, I mean, that doesn't work because I had, you know, underlying issues that, um, clearly led to my, addiction. These issues were not being addressed in a professional manner with professional help. Mm-hmm. So clearly, um, you know, he was just putting a bandaid on a broken arm by by that approach, right? So, um, you know, obviously it was, uh, you know, good intentioned, but it's absolutely not the approach that's going to work long-term. And I think um, for anyone
0: listening, like, like from what? my perspective, obviously like I said, I'm not like super knowledgeable in this area, but just from a common sense perspective, based on what I know with your situation, is like, obviously, bringing your child home who is doing drugs and or alcohol or anything addiction wise like that, bringing them home, creating a safe space for them is one thing I do think that that is beneficial. To some degree, as long as they are also getting like professional help or they're also embarking on a rehabilitation journey or some kind of thing like that, where they're actually getting treatment while they're living at home or going off to a rehab facility to get off off site treatment. Um, Because I think, based off what I've learned, is just simply bringing them home and thinking that they're going to do better just based off of that is not really the case, right? So, and in fact, that can actually make it even worse because you give them a free comfortable space to stay and then now they have lots of money for extra drugs and they're just going to keep using and being comfortable you know living at home in the environment where you provide food and comfort and, and different things like that and this is just a really really enabling behavior if they do not have some kind of actual plan
1: absolutely yeah and i don't recall ever there being some sort of plan um I know he was like monitoring my money. That's what, even though I was working, which is why I had to sell the football jersey in a creative way to, to get drugs. But, but you but always yeah. find
0: a creative way when you want That's something right. like that. Yeah. Right. That's what people need to realize
1: too. Yeah, no, exactly. And then, um, and then, yeah, so I don't really know what happened with that stint, but the you know, last memories I remember was that all of a sudden, like I was confronted with, Hey, we know you did it again. And, and some guys coming to pick you up and he's bringing you to, to this rehab. Right. Um, so, okay, so
0: they arranged for that without yeah, you kind of knowing. without even
1: knowing or, or had any awareness or whatever and so to circle back, um, I guess I should also add that my my dad I don't know if this is you know from a hereditary standpoint or what I mean I feel like a lot of times it is, but um, so my dad actually went, to the same rehab he sent me to um i think it was like 10 or 15 years prior to me going there um and so his issue was um he, he wasn't doing any hard drugs but it was marijuana and alcohol primarily alcohol um and uh and yeah so when i was like 10 so yeah i guess it would have been about 10 years prior to that because i went to rehab when I, was, I think it was like 21 so yeah when i was like 10 years old um that was very traumatic too like you know i picture it it basically my memory of that is as if my my dad went to to jail and we could like Talk to him on the phone randomly and visit him on weekends right, like, uh, for like a month, right? So when you're 10, you don't really understand like what's happening, right? You just knew he had a problem. You didn't really know like what that really meant. Of course, they told you it was alcohol, but you didn't really like understand why. Cause you know, other people drink and they don't have a problem. You don't, you can't understand it, right? Um, especially at that age, but anyway, so, so that's kind of the full circle thing. So basically because he had went there, I'm assuming that's why we, how he was able to arrange this. Um, so I'll, I only remember some random like old guy picks me up and is like you know old man car probably a buick oldsmobile or something and uh and off we went and i'm in the back seat you know like i'm being transported off to jail or whatever you know so all these memories so you memories didn't have
0: any pushback to that
1: yeah no i was like oh no i need to like yeah i was trying to fight it and they were just like no like you're going and yeah yeah i was naturally, definitely kicking and like, screaming yeah it yeah. was it was because my thing in, and many addicts, you know, always say, will say this too, is I wanted to, to get high one last time if I knew that that was going to be my last. I'm like, my last time wasn't good enough. It was only a shitty, like, you know, quick high. I wanted to, like, go out with a full bender if I knew it was going to be my last one, right? So anyway so that that uh uh so anyway i was in the car and i'm looking out the window and i just kind of have those memories and so basically took me to a treatment center near chatham um and uh and yeah so i i was in a program for i think it was 23 days and uh and yeah so i was uh yeah i mean i was in there um it created all the structure that that i needed um you know, this is pre cell phone. So, you know, you'd make calls on landlines to family or friends and, um, yeah, it was basically like school. Like, you know, you'd be up at a certain time, you'd do chores, you'd have, um, you know, group school sessions of counseling, you'd have private, um, counseling sessions with an addictions counselor. Um, you know, you would, uh, we play some, some sports I think at a gym there. We do some stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was getting out of my environment, changing my habit, extended period of time. And, um, yeah, I mean, w- one of the the things kind of coming out of that is that, and many addicts can attest to this is you always kind of like wish you could have like, you know, partied one last time in the way that you wanted to party. Um, and so that was something I kind of clung onto for many months, even the first year of being sober, because I always felt like, and then, so that's why the one of the sayings in recovery is one day at a time, because it's like, you're not supposed to think of stuff like that. It's like, okay, you may have thought that you should have like, you know, done it up right the last time. Well, no, it
0: makes sense from, from that perspective. And you even thought this too. Yeah. When
1: you, you said, I can't envision going to Italy and not drinking wine. You were talking about this a lot in the first few months. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago when you, when you quit drinking. Yeah. You were like, I just, I literally, there's no way yeah, I, I was can like, fathom this. I was like, like long term, I was like, don't think about that.
0: Yeah. I was like, I'll quit drinking. Like- just in my regular environment, but obviously we love to travel and stuff like that. And we've never gone, like, we've never gone to Italy or France to the, the the wine places there and the vineyards and stuff like that. And like, who goes there and doesn't drink? I mean, that would be really hard for me to do. Um, or even like California, Napa Valley, we didn't really get to experience that. So then I thought to myself the whole like first full year, I was like, you know what? if I get the opportunity to do that, I'm going to drink while I'm there because, I mean, how can you not? So And yeah, you said
1: that over and over again. I was like, okay, I mean, you could say that. I mean, whatever makes you that feel better like for That was like my
0: justification for a little yeah, bit.
1: And I, and I was like, and so I really related that back to what I was saying. I'm like, I, you know, one of these times I'm just going to have kind of one last banner because I didn't get to do it upright the last time. But I think that this is such a cool thing to dwell on for a minute with all the listeners here because, you know, how many times do you, you think, like, even if you're on a diet, let's say, mm-hmm. it's like, Oh my God. Like I just, for me, like I love pizza hut. Okay. So uh, I'll i be like, you know what? Like one of these days, like I'm just going to get like an extra large, like triple cheese, Hawaiian, like just, and just go to town and just sit there. And, and so you kind of think about that, right? Every now and then, if you're right, at least I do, maybe your thing is different, but, um, but then what happens is that as, as the months and the years go by and that, that never happens. And then, and then your taste buds change, your craving change, like all these things change. And all of a sudden, the idea of that is like, ah, like that's not really like, like okay sure like I want to but like it's nowhere near to the degree of like how I like actually like thought that that's gonna happen like I was like envisioning the moment uh here I am Friday night like in front of the tv on a couch like just living my best life like actually like pictured the full picture you know what I mean and like now it's like the the thought of that is like okay well maybe but like I'm certainly not picturing that moment. You know what I mean? So as time goes on, it really does. Time does Mm -hmm. heal all like that saying, right? I'm sure, um, you know, there's certain versions where it doesn't to that degree, but like.
0: It's true though. And and also too, like the the better that you start to feel and the more energy that you have and you start feeling really good every day, you don't feel tired. You don't feel anxious or depressed every day because you're living a healthier lifestyle. Um, I know for me, like I have those thoughts sometimes too, where I'm like, oh, like I really want to you know eat cheesecake or donuts or something and uh, yeah I can't have timbits because I'm gluten free free, but like if they came out with gluten free timbits I would be fucking having some (laughs) 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 Um, but the more that I think about it I'll I'll be like okay tonight we're gonna have pizza or something like that and then it's like you know what actually I don't even want to do that because I know the consequences of that I'm gonna feel shittier tomorrow I'm gonna feel sluggish tomorrow I'm gonna have foggy brain from eating shitty food and and is that worth it for me? Right. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes it is worth it if I want to treat myself or have a, you know, have something like that, because we can't be perfect all the time. But majority of the time when I think about the consequences associated to something like that, it it talks myself out of it.
1: Yeah, but isn't it interesting how you know the the consequences or even like the habitual nature of that seems so much easier easier to to wrap your head around the longer that you've abstained from something yeah
0: oh yeah totally because you just obviously when your cravings are gone you can actually start to make logical decisions from there to be like i'm not even craving this anymore yes it tastes good yes it would be nice to have but because i'm not even craving it anymore i can make a logical choice of like i just don't i'm not i'm choosing not to eat this because i'm going to feel like shit tomorrow and i would rather feel better tomorrow
1: exactly so let me ask you are you still drinking wine in italy
0: Uh, I definitely don't plan on that
1: no I've never asked you this since like a year ago
0: yeah no
1: well, there uh, you go. I'll be
0: drinking non-alcoholic wine in Italy. There you go. That's what I mean, right? So <laughs> There's alternatives. Yeah, there's and alternatives, you know what? Right? It, it helps like, to have alternatives, yeah, I would like say. Yeah, like vapes
1: with smoking or, you know, the yeah. different um, sugar substitute desserts. It's not about being 100% perfect. You know, like, it's
0: just about finding yeah, healthier alternatives. Non-alcoholic
1: so, beer, you know. Yeah,
0: to make your life enjoyable for certain, you know, occasions and, and situations like that, right? So, yeah, I think that's... Okay, so you went to rehab. Um, yeah, so... And then, mm-hmm. and then you explained a little bit about how that worked, and then what happened when you got out.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. So that's when the real work begins. Um, it was a scary time, like you know. I, Did I think you go back away to, for
0: thirty days? It was
1: 20, about twenty-three days. Okay. Um, so yeah, when I got back, I um, was living with my parents. Um, I ended up living with with my with my dad for. About a year or two, um, just to make sure that I was comfortable and then I ended up getting my, uh, first ever real sober place by myself. Um, and then about a year after that is when you and I met, which was awesome. Um, uh, but, but yeah, so basically coming out of that, it was like, I didn't, I literally did not talk to a single person, right? So imagine you build this like life through high school, you know, you have friends that, you know, you party with. Like I had many, many party friends. And your friends. friends are your life at that um, age too. Yeah, you know what I mean? And they're your life, like that's your world, you know? And for so long, I justified, like when you're young and in your early 20s, you think you're invincible right so when you're partying and and that's part of why it kind of went on for so long is like you know i'm young like i'm of course i'm gonna party like i remember when when you and i met you'd be like i'm young i'm gonna continue to go to the club even though i have a boyfriend like it was one of those things like why (laughs) just because like just because you're young you you need to go to the club like what does he make sense but but it does because that's just the mindset you're in like you just do what your friends are doing you do what is normal like you know it's your mind isn't developed into making like your own decisions your
0: brain is actually not fully developed and that's what that's that's the tricky part with teenagers and and young adolescent people is that your their brain is not fully developed yet so they're missing some parts where it's like the the part of uh responsibility and the part of um i don't know what the word is i'm looking for but The responsible decision making part let's just say that (laughs) that's why they're more risky that's why you're you're more willing to take risks and do uh involve yourself in risky behavior at a younger age because your brain is not actually fully developed where it has the sense to like be like this uh might actually kill me so i'm not going to do it
1: Right, exactly, and so yeah. I mean, coming out of that, it was uh, I pulled the plug on all old friends. I literally was a loner. And how um,
0: important was that though to it, your recovery? It was super
1: important. Um, I went to Narcotics Anonymous meetings, uh, which is like for, AA for drugs. Yeah, So it's like AA for for um, for drugs. So um, yeah, I did that. I, I was going to a meeting every single day pretty much. For, you were even
0: doing that when we met, um, too.
1: For the first few years, yeah. And so, um, you know, it was a great thing because, yeah, I mean, you don't have any friends. Um, these are kind of the only ones that, um, you know, that that you have some sort of relatability in your new found life or recovery. Um, I even went to speak at my treatment center about a year or two after being sober, which was really fulfilling. Um, and, uh, and I And I really dove into the things that I used to like doing in childhood, which were playing hockey again and, uh, and going to the gym. And so in high school, I used to go to the gym and, and, you know, work out with buddies. I mean, sure we would still smoke pot and drink alcohol, but, um, you know, this was kind of a, a, a guy thing that we did. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I got back into doing that. I played hockey my whole life. So I obviously stopped that for, I stopped the gym and I stopped the, um, uh, you know, playing hockey for a couple of years, basically when the cocaine was ramping up and then the last few months when I started smoking crack. So, um, it was really refreshing to get back into that and like, a healthy way um you know a lot of the uh you know people that i would play hockey with they weren't really necessarily ones i would party with i wouldn't say a um, few of them were so it's kind of awkward in that sense i had to kind of you know sweep things away and oh yeah no i'm not into that sorry thank you and you know of course they tease you they make funny it's like a guy thing it's way more of a guy thing than a female thing um that was a big thing um but yeah basically i i, I and and so part of what i preached a lot um Back when I'm, and now I'm mature enough to know that it's not a one size shoe fits all approach to treating addiction. I definitely thought that in the beginning. And I'd be like, you need to, you know, go to the gym. You need to. to. It's like, meanwhile, but I'm that's like, that's just uh, what worked right? for you. That's just, just what worked work for, for me. You. Right. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. it's, it's funny, funny. I'd be in a room, in a room and like, everybody. Probably, Probably a bunch of bunch artists in there and a bunch of different, you know, <laughs> flute them, yeah. players and violin yeah. players. I'm like, they're you, like, need, you to need to go to go the gym. gym. And they're like, <laughs> okay, I've never been to the gym in my life. I don't think that's going to help me, right?
0: No, it might make you it know, worse, actually. Like,
1: them <laughs> telling me to go play the flute, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. I do not yeah. want to play the flute. No. Um, so, 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 yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. I mean, obviously I you know, matured and understood that to this day. But, but yeah, yeah, so that's what worked for me. So why
0: do you think, like, did you relapse after that? Or why do you think other people do and some people don't? Yeah, so
1: basically… I wouldn't it you know I, I've kind of asked that so, myself that question many times there was um i mean I, I for me i would say the hardest part for me was not like smoking pot, to be honest, because I like, yeah, cause I smoked weed every, every day, day, all day, day for, for like five, five years from like more age
0: habit, 15
1: yeah. to 20, basically. Right. So I just really enjoyed smoking pot because I would just chill out. I would just relax. Like it didn't really impact me negatively in any facet. Um, and that was something I just always did. I mean, drinking and partying were kind of a weekend thing, like, you know, when you weren't working or whatever. But I mean, weed was just a chill out type deal. So that was probably the hardest thing for me, I'd say. But when it came to actually like smoking crack or cocaine or whatever, I mean, that was always an aftermath of partying, so like I, I wouldn't, you know, s- seek out to do that. Like it was more of yeah, like, yeah, it would have
0: been harder if it was drunk, every Let's day. get some let's drugs. Job, let's let's
1: keep, keep it rolling. It- like so, like. I mean, I wasn't even drinking. So like that is like, yeah. So it wasn't really difficult to do that. I wouldn't, to avoid that. I wouldn't say plus I didn't even like have my dealer's number anymore. I would, I wasn't even talking to people that did it. Like I, I was so far removed from that. Yeah. You know, so that's really, really hard to sure. Whereas, Whereas if, if, somebody if somebody was, somebody was let's, let's say an say, alcoholic, you know, you know just, just popping mm-hmm. into the local, local pub on when, in any, any walk, walk you do way, any, any drive home, it's home it's you do like so
0: easily accessible, it's really
1: easily accessible. So it's like you have one traumatic moment in your life happens somebody dies somebody breaks up with you somebody scorns you you get taken advantage of whatever right like that's super triggering and you know that that it's it's definitely more difficult and and you know you think about food addiction and other addictions that are you know right in front of your face i mean i would have had to like jump through some hoops to get some cocaine whereas yeah i mean i definitely always thought that people that had the alcohol had a bit bit harder thing but that makes um, sense well, but you
0: know, do you, when you went to rehab, you went to, like for drugs specifically, this was a big crack. but do they tell you like to, to uh, like, st- what oh, yeah. am I trying to say? Do they Ab- tell you to like abstain from, abstain from other yep. things too? Absolutely, like what yeah. is the extent of that? Yeah, the they... joke
1: is the, there's something that's called marijuana maintenance program. Um, And it, it, it's I've actually like a that. term. Okay. And it it's, it has all kinds of criticism in the, uh, the addiction recovery community. Is it similar
0: to harm reduction?
1: It's basically just saying, Oh, I'm, I quit everything, but, so I'm but, I, smoke but I smoke weed and I'm fine because I mean, yeah, I mean, hypothetically, it's well, it it is
0: legalized now. So it doesn't, that doesn't really help. You know,
1: to, it's not going to damage your life to the degree that alcohol and hard drugs will however um, it's certainly not going to give you the energy and motivation and and, and well being to live a long happy successful life Or the either. ability
0: to, to figure um, out how to deal with your life in a, in a yeah, more practical a crunch, way. Right? It's yeah. still a
1: coping method you're, you're changing your state of mind right yeah. so if you're changing your state of mind through an intoxication process then that is not um, you're not actually recovering properly right so uh, but yeah that was always the joke I mean um you know there were times where i thought about doing something like that but um uh, but no that um i never went down that road i knew that any version of any of that i seen the progression of how i like smoked pot then drank alcohol then started cocaine then smoked crack like it was all progressionary. like i'm sure if i it would have went on to injecting or something i don't know heroin down the road if i If I didn't pick up, um, where you know, my myself and get help. Um, Do they
0: teach that though? When you're in rehab, that you if you go in there for one substance to abstain from all substances, like you can't just get help for your drug addiction and keep drinking socially. Like, is Mm -hmm. that correct? Hundred percent. Because if you have no. that addictive—I don't want to yeah. say personality—but if yeah. you already have an issue with addiction, then you're just going to go to a different addiction, yeah. right? Exactly. You, no,
1: no. So there's no there's no rehab that would tell you in a million years that that's the way to to, to substitute. You don't want to be substitute. You you can absolutely substitute healthy things, uh-huh. right? You know what I mean? Like I did with hockey and the gym and and working out and, and the whole bit.
0: And you didn't um, quit everything all at like all your bad habits all at once. You just quit like the addiction part, but you still smoke cigarettes yeah. after.
1: Yeah. So they actually did tell you keep smoking cigarettes, which is. Kind of funny, yeah. Um, You know, it's it's actually encouraged typically to continue to smoke cigarettes if you do uh, already. Because if you
0: try to quit, everything, yeah.
1: And it's not intoxicating. That's the main thing, and it's not killing you today, right? It's going to kill you down the road, but not today. Yeah. But the more so thing is, it's not intoxicating. It's not changing your state of mind. Um, So yeah, I did that. I continued to smoke for about five more years uh, and ended up quitting um, when I was about twenty-five. So yeah, I've been off cigarettes for about thirteen years now. Um, But uh, but yeah, and so so yeah, I went to meeting several years and then i um i eventually then i met you uh and then we uh, yeah we got together and then i i basically at that point you said i was going to meetings we met right so yeah i was a, probably a little bit after you i found you and and you know was really in a good spot and i i slowly stopped going to meetings and and the, the irony about that is I'm not necessarily encouraging that for anybody in recovery where they feel because that's typically a risky yeah. proposition to but I never really became like super buddy buddy and friends with a lot of people in the meetings because for me I don't know like I, I, I don't need to mean to sound like you know mean or like they're a dem- different demographic but like I mean I was going to meetings in like downtown London so like you know naturally I, I mean yeah. I didn't grow up in, in downtown or that environment of kind of that um, you know well, they're still a lot great of people, people but we I just didn't relate like these people had extreme Rough past, yeah, they
0: all have I different pasts and different issues, yeah. right? So, and, and a lot of them probably were going through different relapses, and you probably seen that. Yeah, and so, that,
1: that was so I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. that was one of the main like reasons why I stopped going. Because what would happen is I would look up to these people, they'd be like, Oh, I've been sober a year, whatever. And then all of a sudden, there's this thing where like you would go and you would um pick up like a coin or a medallion that would be like your. You're one day sober and so they they would kind of like at the start of a meeting be like who who in here has the courage to come up and get like a I, i've been you know i've basically relapsed and i want to get back on the wagon and then these people that would have like year months or years of sobriety that i would see at these meetings would all of a sudden be going to get their like one day sober like medallion mm-hmm. and i'd be like oh my god there's like cliff That's discouraging. Yeah. Shit. Like Cliff would like, you know, share his story and he was like such a mentor in here. And now like hypothetically, like i'm better off than cliff yeah. so then i'd be like if that can happen to cliff that can happen to me too you know That's
0: discouraging yeah that's yeah. a hard i definitely see the benefit to those meetings but i can also see how it would be yeah. a little bit detrimental in that way yeah so then i was
1: like oh man and i'm like i don't even like i can't even necessarily like rely on anybody in here and then plus like i said people in there they had really really And i don't blame them i mean these guys like they had stories they would share like yeah you know dealing with like heavy-duty like sexual abuse and like really traumatic shit right and i'm like you know i had you know a pretty interesting childhood but i mean i certainly did not have any type of trauma to the degree of of more than half these people that would share their stories in these rooms right so i was like this is like a bit much for me and and so yeah naturally i found a great foundation i met you i mean um i felt like i you know was doing all the things in my life that were really working for me and and yeah i just stopped going to meetings gradually i kind of weaned back and then eventually just stopped altogether. and um i remember my parents were like oh you know they'd start shooting recovery recovery sayings at me like uh, seven days without a meeting makes one week and they would like just and I'm just like, oh my God. I'm like, yeah, you but guys to were be, like
0: to be fair, you know I mean? if I had a child that was going through addiction yeah, issues, I'd be like, You're going to those fucking meetings, I know. sir. I know.
1: But I mean, they were part of the triggering thing of no, like I why know. I actually used drugs in the first yeah, place know, it's to hard not get dynamic. into the, to bore everybody with my childhood story. But like yeah. so that it's funny, right? Because it's like, you know, they think they know better. Even to this day, I'm 38 years old. They probably think that they know better about my life than I do, which is hilarious. But but no, so that that's the, the funny thing, right? And it's like, okay, mom, like I'm a grown adult now, like I got this figure out right
0: it's hard for family of addicted loved ones to know kind of the right approach of how to deal with it like i don't know how i would deal with it um i know certain things i wouldn't wouldn't do based on just being around you and your your job in the addictions field but um like why don't you do you have any advice for people that have family or friends who are struggling with addiction like what are some do's and don'ts
1: yeah for sure so um I mean I feel like it's kind of similar to to parent, parenting parenting a child or teenager where you know maybe they want to play video games or color all day or hang out with their friends all day and their parents want them like getting doing homework more mm-hmm. or whatever and it's like you know you just don't want to harp on them right? I mean you want to be you want to be their friend more than their parent, you know. Um mm-hmm.
0: I think that's a fine line though because like, I don't think the fr- like the friend relationship is the parents' role to play though either. Yeah, I mean
1: I'm not necessarily here to give parenting advice. I don't have kids. I'm just saying that like, you know, they're, they're for so long like in an addict, like they we deal with guilt and shame and all that shit like way greater than anybody on the outside can ever understand and that actually is a big contributor mm-hmm. to why we like you know, can't form that baseline happiness, and and is why you know addicts continue to to use. So yeah. when somebody that what's well, supposed to be like understanding and like, you know, be there for them, whatever is like, why don't you da da da? And like, you need da 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 da. And like that whole banter, mm-hmm.
0: the controlling that, yeah, and the nagging and that's not conducive at all. Because no. all that
1: banter, like those voices already repeat themselves in our heads anyway. Yeah, you just want to avoid so, that too. So, so none of that is helpful. Right. Yeah. So I think just being a good friend, just saying, Hey, like, I know it's hard. Like, you know what I mean? What can I do for you? Like, you know, Hey, it sucks. Offering
0: like just, emotional, yeah, support emotional support instead of advice. In a safe space yeah. is in having like conversations, like instead of just telling them what to do, because right. I kind of yeah, yeah. grew up in a controlling like childhood like that too, where like I was very strongly opinionated and I would challenge certain things that I didn't believe in. And like, I was very kind of outspoken in that sense. And so when people, when adults would try to tell me what to do and I didn't necessarily agree with that, I would speak up and say that and it would piss off the adults because they think because they're an adult that I shouldn't be fucking sharing my opinion. Whereas if you had a healthy dynamic, it would be a matter of like, oh, tell me more about that. Why do you feel that way? Let's unpack these feelings and emotions. Let's uh, see what kind of other uh, healthy therapeutic coping strategies that we can do to make you feel better and uh, be more on the same page, like making it more of a conducive collaborative effort. Um, and, And that's really, hard if the parents are not able to mentally have that capacity to offer that kind of love and support, right? Which not, not everybody is, is at that place in their life, especially when they have young kids that drive them nuts all day. Like it's a hard dynamic, but that's at the end of the day, that's what the dynamic needs to be in order to have that level of uh, respectful communication and respect for each other.
1: Yeah, one of the biggest things you and I have learned is, is emotions, um, you know, hinder so many things when it comes to communication, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, you think about, um, you know, family dealing with someone who's addicted. I mean, their emotions are high. Super or, you high. know, even parents that are pissed off with their kids, like, emotions are high. So it's like, emotions are high, and we know that emotion, it, like, hinders effective, um, loving, caring, proper communication and building yep, relationships. totally. Then if you are not in a good space, you're naturally going to just talk with your, and speak with your emotions as opposed to, like you said, in a conducive collaborative way, which is the opposite of that, right?
0: Yeah. And the thing is too, is that a lot of people, especially adults in a child, in a <clears throat> parent type relationship, is that, you know, it's totally acceptable and fine to react out of emotion. We're all human, it's gonna happen regardless. We're not saying to pretend like you're not feeling a certain way, but like if you do happen to get angry and react out of emotion and say things that are inappropriate or that you know are not conducive to a healthy relationship or communication style, just simply apologize and be like you know what that behavior was inappropriate of me and and you know i guarantee you the more that you're able to be vulnerable with your you know child or your friends or your family or whatever and you're able to to admit to your flaws and weaknesses the more respect the other person's going to have for you and the more comfortable they're going to feel to be able to do the same in your presence right so it's not about just you know not reacting like if you react out of anger just you know once you're back to a clear state of mind, go and apologize right what's wrong with that you're too proud to do that well you're just diminishing your relationship with the other person for it's not being able the, to do the, that
1: it's the full house moments at the end of the episode that uh none yeah. of our parents ever yeah. had with us yeah um, <laughs> right where, where where the parent um you know expresses that vulnerability so true to, to build the relationship hey kiddo you know I, it was really tough when i was your age dealing with whatever yeah you know, people don't do that right because it, you think about it like vulnerability is really off,
0: uncomfortable for you, people you're not
1: gonna want to let your guard down
0: right no. in
1: order to to have that relatability and um yeah i mean so that that's so to answer your question, that is the advice I would I would say, hey, you know, when I was your age, you know, obviously, I, maybe I didn't get addicted, but like, you know, I dealt with this, da 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 da, you know, and then naturally, yeah, you build a bond here. They, like, oh man, I didn't know, like my mom or dad dealt with that, or I didn't. They're going to be willing to you open know. up, and they're going to um, have so
0: much more respect for you. You yeah. feel like they're not because mm-hmm. vulnerability is hard to do, and I mean, it's really uncomfortable. But you think that
1: you're, they're supposed that you're supposed to have the answer because you're the parent or everybody, like, you know, we're all human; we're not perfect.
0: Yeah, and the more you express that, then the more you're child like the more that the other person is going to to really feel like they're able to connect and communicate with you without judgment as well because if you're constantly judging yourself and not being open and vulnerable then the other person is gonna feel that and sense that and know that it's also not acceptable for them to do that and then you just create this dynamic of you know power struggle fear struggle in the relationship which is super unhealthy and all good positive healthy. Relationships are founded in vulnerability.
1: It's so true. That's just the, the starting gate. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, so, so yeah, basically, um, stopped going to meetings, uh, to get back to my story to, to sum it up here. And, um, and yeah, I ended up just building a, a relationship with you and, um, and then yeah, just continued to do the things that were working. And, and then I remember, um, so then you were like, listen, I don't want to marry a smoker, mm-hmm. right? Well, we did, we, after I had uh, proposed to you and you said yes. And, and you're like, is there any way you can like quit smoking? Cause like, I don't want you to die and like, I don't want to deal with, you know you're smoking and it stinks and blah 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 right and so um I tried obviously many times to quit and uh, and then I read a book it was by an author named Alan Carr it's called easy way to stop smoking uh, anybody uh, listens podcast who um, you know uh, has smoked or has a friend or family member that does smoke I would highly recommend it um, you know there's many people it hasn't worked for uh, which I you know I like any it's now hard. I know it's it's hard right I mean it's just like yeah I was saying earlier I mean go to the gym I hate the gym why isn't that working for you I don't know it's it works just for all personalized right but Anyway, I literally read this book and it was really cool. It said, keep smoking while you read the book. So you could sit there. I'm sitting there smoking away, reading a book called Easy Way to Stop Smoking, which would have made for a great uh, picture, by the way. This is like pre-cell phone again. (laughs) Um, You know, where was the picture of that? That would have been hilarious. Um, And so... Yeah, I read the book, literally quit um, on a dime, cold turkey, never looked back. 13 years later, here I am. Um, and that's yeah, crazy. I, mean, I can't believe how, how, how awesome it was. I won't get into the, the dynamic of the book because it's you, you just, just have to read it, it
0: for yourself. It's and I, I just, book.
1: it's a short book too. Yeah.
0: And I also want to say too, like Alan Carr also has the easy way to stop binge eating, the easy way to quit alcohol. Like yeah. he has his concept in so many different variations the of books, yeah. but the theory is the same. And so if you're struggling, with any kind of thing like that, like you want to get healthier, you want to be on a diet, like you want to lose weight, like quit drinking alcohol. Um, he has a version of that book that will be more relatable to you. Yep. So I think that that's really awesome.
1: Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, and I did that. And uh, and yeah, I was so happy with myself because naturally, you know, here I am playing hockey and going to the gym and smoking cigarettes. It just doesn't make sense, right? Well,
0: now you run marathons and yep. you're totally full, like your lungs are probably fully recovered.
1: I remember it was super funny. I, I would go to the gym I would, and I would go get a double-double and uh, and, uh, and I'd have a smoke. So i had have my workout and I'd be sipping on my double-double, which has a bunch of sugar, cream, whatever, after the gym and having a cigarette. Like, yeah. so oxymoron, right? But like, anyway, the, the point um, is, is that I... So I created this discipline and I always thought that I was so good at, at doing this discipline thing and then and then when COVID happened so I, I would drink non-alcoholic beer and then um when COVID happened i um you know was, oh let's try i would just have a beer here and like an actual beer because i never had a problem with alcohol right so it was always you know cocaine and crack plus and i would
0: drink or like, she we, would drink, like we, we would just would drink, yeah right? we were freaking yeah. bored during COVID. yeah
1: so that's so I i just saw here and there and then and then a buddy got me onto like flavored beers and stuff all oh, this tastes like strawberry this tastes like you know raspberry this beer when i was okay I'd try one here and there so it's never to get drunk whatever but then eventually like okay and i would just have a couple more and i get a little bit of buzz going i'm like okay i like this but it's not a big deal i don't have an issue right remember it was always it was always smoking weed cocaine and crack um, and then what happened was it it started to do the progression or anything, right? I would buy it on my own. I would drink it, you know, during the week and stuff. We'd and go we'd, to breweries
0: like we'd go every to breweries, weekend. Have
1: flights. We're doing the whole thing, right? And I'm like, shit, this is like this is not good, right? But I would justify it. We continue to justify it. Everybody's drinking. My wife's drinking wine. We're going to wineries and breweries, right? Yeah. So you know, it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't negatively impacting our life, and and it was COVID. There was nothing to look forward to, right? This is the only nothing thing we could to look do forward except
0: to. for patios. You know,
1: that was the whole thing, right? So we would just make this like the only fun thing in our lives um and then uh, yeah just started to escalate and then um you know one night i i drank too much and, and basically kind of blacked out and, and rebecca had to drive me home and that was kind of like okay now this is like becoming an issue yeah, um and and i was like shit i'm like this is not like you know what i mean like uh, even to this day i've been sober from actual drugs for about 16 years i think about 15 so 20 38 yeah. 17 years, 21 to 38. So 17 years, no drugs. Okay. But I did, um, obviously, uh, consume alcohol and, and get drunk in that time. It's been a little over two years now. Um, so I'm really proud that I've, I got myself out of that. Thank God. But it was literally like, Okay, once it started impact uh, my relationship with Rebecca, different areas of my life. I was waking up hungover, feeling like crap. Oh you my god! You gained
0: so much freaking weight too. Gained a bunch of
1: weight too. I was at my you know heaviest weight. I got a great fat picture holding the beer, uh, doing the whole thing in COVID. Uh, the COVID weight, the whole whole bit. But um, at that point, I'm like, no, 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 can't be living like this. Hell no. I would literally like. I would, I would work out, I would cold plunge, and I would drink a beer.
0: Yeah, just and didn't like, really align. This is
1: not, this was like the smoking thing. I would come yeah. out and I'd be like eating burgers and, and drinking double-doubles and smoking cigarettes after I go to the gym. It's like, no, no, no. And, and how many people can, hearing this can relate to this? It's like you think like this is what our mind does. We justify. Yeah. We go, okay, I, you know, had a salad for lunch so I can go to the mandarin buffet for dinner and i'm on my weight it's loss crazy journey. yeah and it's like you're just lying to yourself okay yeah. like that when you go pig out on the weekend and you ate good all week like you, you just, undo you, all you undo the, the entire progress th- work that you've done okay? yeah you do and so and so this was all, uh, my I'm, I'm not you know harping on anybody i was the exact same person it would yeah. be like i work out i don't drink i don't do drugs i smoke cigarettes and that's fine right and it's the same thing i don't do drugs no more so i drink like everybody else does all our friends do you know it's not a big deal right
0: yeah, so anyways, the the weight gain and the unhealthiness that you were experiencing, I think really opened mm. my eyes to how negative uh, alcohol impacts you because during this time, you were still running like 5K a day, you were still working out, um, You know, you were still doing all these things, but you just had added alcohol to your diet and I saw how fast you gained weight from that and it really put it in perspective for me and I was like, wow, like I'm having a really hard time losing weight, I keep gaining weight, I drink wine and all this stuff And I was like, maybe I should just stop drinking alcohol and, you know, like long story short, we went to this conference and I drank way too much the one night before it was even gonna start and I almost missed it. And I was really pissed off about it and I was super sick all night and I was hung over the whole next day. Well, the whole three you just get hung over for days at a time. It's so awful, it's so bad for you. And you think like if it's making you feel physically that way for so long, what is it doing to the insides of your body? It's obviously doing even worse to the insides of your body. So it's like it's super, super crazy. It's dehydrating you, and it's like like as human beings we need lots of hydration lots of water we can't survive long periods without water so it's like if you're drinking a substance that's significantly dehydrating you like that that is like fucking unhealthy for you
1: yeah no exactly and so yeah i I had stopped um on around christmas time so you went to that conference i was we were it was about march yeah so yeah i i quit um for about three months and then um you didn't really have any plans of quitting i mean you were just obviously minimizing yeah on the cake for you and Ever since then, um, you know, you stopped with me and uh, and yeah, we've now done a ton of research onto the effects of it all. And, um, you know, yeah, alcohol is a toxin. I mean, don't fool yourself. I mean, all the marketing that happens is absolutely ridiculous, okay? Yeah. It it is the exact equivalent of food companies, you know, the label of a food company. Like, you know, you grab a pack of Twizzlers, like I've said in previous podcasts, says fat-free, like on the label. Like, why are they putting fat-free on there? Do you think somebody, like because they're trying to minimize the fact that it's loaded with sugar. Yeah. Oh, it's fat free, so it should they're be. They're trying okay. to cover up something right? else. Covering up. Same with alcohol. It's like oh, strawberry flavored this or or the romanticism and elegance of drinking wine. Like it's it's yeah. absolute marketing nonsense. My favorite
0: part of right? the the marketing with alcohol is like if you look at the commercials, how happy people are consuming it yeah. and how how they make it seem like it's part of every high end fancy celebration. Oh Pop the champagne. Get the the cognac, like all of these things, they have celebrity endorsements, like, And everybody's just having a great time partying and stuff like that. But they, they, in the, in the marketing and advertising, notice how they don't share, uh, the cancer causing effects of it, the, you know, the negativity. The deaths from
1: drunk driving. The
0: deaths from, yeah, that, the divorces from it, like all of these negative impacts that are more than the positive impacts for sure. And they're not going to be promoting that because that's a huge, that's the reality of it though
1: yeah it's just crazy so you think about a society we're living in now alcohol is legal now marijuana is legal um you know food companies uh, are allowed to put whatever you know certain prod not whatever but they're allowed Almost to put shit. anything yeah um you know companies in general are allow you to, to sell you shit you don't need like products that you are buying putting you know canadians at debt through the roof like everything is hidden motive and that is the hugest lesson that Rebecca and I have learned. If you would say, hey, Chad and Rebecca, what's one of the... Uh, I guess I'll just speak for myself, but I'm sure you can attest to it. But the the single biggest lesson for me heading into 2024 of, of is my um, awareness of who's got the hidden motive, right? You know, I don't obviously go around skeptical of everybody. I'm, I'm going to have an open mind in general, but like it's just all, challenging it though is pretty I'm challenging good to every do. single motive. Okay. And I'm, I'm taking control of my life. I'm making intentional decisions based on what I know is good for what I want, not by what external media and, and society is telling me is, is for the greater good. Okay. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's terrible to think that you can live your entire life in this society because of how it is formed through government and all the rest of it, politics. And, and it has it has a very, very small percentage to do with what has your best interest in mind, okay? So people need to wake up and, and literally smell the coffee and the roses here because if you don't take charge of your life for any, and and you just continue to um, accept things for the way they are, and and you rationalize your behavior, you are going conti- to And this is why people are so depressed, right? Mm-hmm. All over the place. People are depressed. We just had the blue Monday, January is like an excuse because to be depressed. Because you know that depressed it's, people. People all contributed to this de- right
0: depressed people make the best consumers because they're not in the right state of mind they're feeling shitty about themselves and what do you do when you feel shitty about yourself you consume something that makes you feel better whether that's sugar alcohol or processed foods or you go on a shopping spree right. or whatever exactly. all of these things are to profit off of from the companies so the more depressed that our society stays obviously the better financial gain for the co- the companies right? right so and I, and I heard that somewhere I can't remember where I heard but that depressed best people make the best consumers. The
1: podcast, yeah. I
0: think it yeah. was from the um, it was from that happy scientist guy that we read his book. He oh, was yeah, awesome. Right.
1: Yeah. What was Another his name? fantastic book. Yeah, the book that he did with Oprah, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. Do you remember his name?
1: forget his name I wasn't figured out anyway. his,
0: his first book is called Strength Over Strength so if okay, you, google so you google that strength he'll come up
1: over strength. that's the author there and he has a, another book that's uh, happiness something that he co-authored with Oprah um, fantastic book and yeah he and basically outlined that uh, you depressed people make great consumers and so consumer does not mean necessarily just somebody who buys something means somebody that consumes alcohol somebody that consumes cigarettes somebody that consumes um, you know Big Macs anything that makes you feel good temporarily in the moment that then makes your life Worst long term.
0: His name is uh, Arthur Brooks.
1: Arthur Brooks. There you go. Write it down. Yeah. yeah. Arthur
0: C. Brooks okay, is his C. Brooks. name. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Cool. All of his books. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to just talk about a couple of things before we wrap up here. But um, one thing that I really can relate to, you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast was uh, that the substances help with socializing. And I think in our world now with social media and stuff like that, we have a really hard time socializing without uh, being under the influence of Uh, influence of anything or um, something to at least take the edge off because socializing has become very uncomfortable for people in general because we don't even practice it enough. Um, And for me, that was a really big uh, contributing factor to the alcohol consumption is like, I wouldn't want to go to an event if there was no wine or something like that to take the edge off because I'm a major introvert and I did not enjoy socializing and that would always help. Um, But now I realize that I don't need that and I don't, have to I don't have to talk to anybody that I don't want to talk to you. Silence is fine. I can be quiet and I can only share things that I feel add value to the conversation. And sometimes silence can make other people uncomfortable, but that's, that's not for me to worry about. I'm just, you know, and I, and I also go only go to events or uh, gatherings with people that, um, you know, match my values and are kind, supportive people that wouldn't judge that anyway. So I think that that's something that's really important to recognize um, another thing I wanted to bring up too is the whole logic of letting the kids drink at home to keep them safe thing because we watched a, a documentary recently and I, and I understand the whole reason behind doing this. Don't get me wrong. Um, but we watched this like documentary clip about what is the best approach to do when it comes to kids and alcohol and, and drug use and stuff. And it, it did say that studies show that actually it makes the problem worse if you are that parent that is like yeah you can I'd rather my kids just be safe and just do it at home and uh support that because they were saying in the studies that um the parents that that do that they're just teaching their kids that it's actually acceptable and then the kid indirectly thinks, right yeah so it's like
1: an indirect acceptance that exactly. the kid um, thinks is okay and that perpetuates the behavior because the parent's supposed to be the parent it's not it's, about like yelling yeah. and screaming at your kid for not drinking but at the same time when you you know, indirectly support a behavior. Yeah, um, you're saying it's okay. You're, you're subconsciously telling that teen that that is okay. You know, Yeah, it, as
0: opposed to having the parental role, which sometimes is difficult, but it's so much needed because that's the only, like your role is their parent and that's the only job that, uh, nobody else has that job in that kid's life, right? So it's your job to be like, you know what? Um, these are the consequences of drinking. These are the consequences of drugs. And, con- and, and they said in the study too, the more that you talk, about it openly and express how negative it is, um, the better it is long-term for the kid not developing addiction issues. So I thought that that was really cool because... To be honest with you, if I had kids, I would probably do the same thing where I would probably be like, feel better personally about myself if I let them drink at home and feel safe and stuff like that. Um, but again, it's not necessarily about you and how you feel. And even though that makes you feel more comfortable in the short term, it's long-term not good for your kid.
1: Yeah, the open discussions um, was the main thing that is actually beneficial. Yeah. And it's interesting. We watched something else. Um, I think it was one of those, uh, you know, uh, it was like a vape thing. And so they were mm. saying that like – you know for the Netflix remembers. jewel documentary yeah that's the jewel one yeah that was ridiculous <laughs> so basically it was saying that like you know growing up um, anybody that's similar to my age you know from the basically from the day you entered school you'd have these presentations of like black lungs right don't yeah, smoke don't smoke totally. so that was open discussion right your entire life like non-stop not necessarily from your parents but like just in the school systems mm-hmm. so naturally now we have um you know smoking rates in teens like you know super low and you go well what contributed to that is because those open discussions of course now it's taken on vapes and different forms which you know teenagers are always looking for some sort of rebellion uh but but yeah, I mean, that was the thing. It's like the open communication is like, you, 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 I mean, if you're seeing black lungs every day, why would you want to do that to yourself? You know?
0: Yeah, exactly. And the other, the last thing I wanted to say um, is, is addiction hereditary? Because I popped that into Google because I was very curious what, to, what it would say. And it says, there is studies showing that there's certain addiction uh, genes and stuff like that, but not enough evidence to prove that. Um, for me personally, I just, I don't know if it's hereditary. I think it's more so an environmental... Thing that if you grew up like you said, you grew up and your dad yeah, had, struggled and with addiction. Acceptance
1: of everybody growing up, my dad yeah. and all his friends, where they would always be drinking. There was always beer bottles on the tables, and
0: yeah, uh, and that's your environment that you grew yeah. up in. So you see that other adults in your life are coping with their stresses. They're co- they're just making it so socially acceptable. Um, and in addition to that, they're not expressing their feelings. They're not showing how to deal with things in a healthy way. And so when you see your your parents using drugs and alcohol as a coping mechanism. I think that that's how um, kids are predisposed to addiction and it makes it look like it's hereditary. But in fact, it's more so that you just grew up in that dynamic and that environment that shows that it's acceptable. And that's why you think that that's how you deal with emotions and and different feelings.
1: Right. Makes sense. Awesome.
0: And do you have any advice for uh, people struggling with addiction before we end this podcast?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um in Canada, you typically have uh, two different options when it comes to going away for rehab. You have the government uh government funded side of things through tax funding. Um, you know, usually there's a long wait on on that, usually about 6 months. Um, which is crazy with, like people crazy, don't have that you know? much
0: time, especially when they're yeah. already willing to go. Like yeah. you can't wait 6 months it's Yeah, insane. these things
1: are, you know, typically life-threatening and then you have a private facility like the one that I work at. We don't have a wait we could have you in as soon as possible. And um, it does come at a substantial cost, obviously, but, you know, really top quality care. And, um, just let the listeners know, know to, how much it is so um, that they know. So for 30 days, it's 21500 So
0: And and, um, and any of the private rehab facilities, it's fl- it's about the same, like yeah, pretty much. That's We're certainly how much not it the costs. most expensive
1: one. We're not the cheapest one, but middle of the pack, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a bunch out there and, and they all do great work. And typically there's not much of a weight. And, and yeah, I mean, at least those options are available if you can afford it of course, payment plans are available if that's an option too. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely important to, to reach out. Um, you know, if you, you want to do a more passive approach, a Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous meetings are fantastic. Um, they're pretty much held in any town or city worldwide and, uh, they're free, right? So, um, you know, start there, reach out, but the main thing is just, you know, calling out to somebody. And, um, even if it's a family or friend that you can confide in is super important. Isolation is big enough addiction. Um, you know, we s- sit there with our feelings and thoughts and-, and shame and guilt and all that. So be able to talk to somebody about what you got going on in a loving and supportive environment, uh, is fantastic step in the right direction. So, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, so if, if you or anyone that you know is struggling with alcohol or addiction issues, um, you can also feel free to reach out to Chad on social media or by email. Um, he is, you can find him on Instagram at Chad Hamilton Runs, or you can email him at- I email at
1: Hamilton 519 at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, perfect. And uh, yeah, he, he can just point you in the right direction and uh, give you some support uh, from experience, which I think is personally very important so absolutely We love to connect with our listeners. My website is RebeccaHamiltonCo.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and share it and tag us on social media. You can find me at RebeccaHamiltonCo and Chad is at ChadHamiltonRuns. And if you have a show or a podcast, we would love to be a guest and share our story with your audience and help get more people inspired to live authentically. Thanks for listening. This is Scrap the Sweet Talk with Chad and Rebecca Hamilton.